Welcome to UX Soup, where we go beyond the buzzwords and talk about the latest user research, technology innovation, and all things impacting user experience of personal devices and services, whether it be at home or on the go. As always, UX Soup is sponsored by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients all over the world with insights, analysis, and expertise. Hello, welcome to the show. My name is Lisa Cooper, and today uh, the topic of our podcast is about digital transformation of assistive technologies, uh, more specifically for uh, blind and visually impaired communities. With technology and development such as robot assistants and autonomous guides instead of guide dogs, things like that, smart canes, how much of this technology does the blind community want? How much is useful? And just because we can, does it mean that we should use technology in this way to meet the needs of a community such as this one? So to help us unpack this topic, I'm going to sit down with a friend of the show, Martin Ralph. Hi, Martin. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time to sit down with me today to talk around the topic. So now Martin works for the Royal National Institute of Blind People, one of UK's leading sight loss charities and the largest community of blind and partially sighted people. He also co-founded Blind Since Birth, a charity that he runs uh, with his partner and produces and presents the Blind Dad Diaries podcast. Did I miss anything, Martin? I think you're on TikTok too, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm everywhere. <laughs> but yeah, TikTok <laughs> seems to be the, the, the uh, innovative place at the moment to be as well. <laughs> um, so I thought we could talk today about There seems to be a lot of technology development to help people uh, who are blind and visually impaired. I know I've read about a a robotic dog um, that has been developed by uh, the researchers from California. It's supposed to guide uh, the handler by means of a leash, similar to how a real dog would work, but it's a robot assistant. Somehow it used a laser mapping system and a camera to track its handler and um, said that it could cut down costs of training a guide dog, which apparently in the UK, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Martin, is some, somewhere around £3,500 to breed and train a single guide dog. Is that right? To breed and train and fully look after a guide dog through its entire life uh, is closer to the sum of £60,000. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, that's from birth to retirement. Is that correct? Yeah. That's from cradle to grave almost and the actual, or you know, we shouldn't really say cradle to grave, but yeah. Uh, but in terms of the breeding and the training program is roughly uh, 25 to 30,000. Right. I also heard about uh, something that Loughborough University also developed something. I think it was a student there that developed an autonomous wayfinding device. It's called Thea. Also for people uh, with visual impairments um, or blind uh, which helps them find their way by, I guess, uh, nudging them to the left or nudging them to the right in a similar way that uh, a guide dog would do. So I was just wondering what your thoughts are on technologies such as these, which aim to replace a guide dog. What are your thoughts on that? Is this something that technology should really be doing? So... I think this is one for an opinion, uh, and to be fair, opinion can divide decisively, especially when it comes to technology. Yeah. And when we think about the advent of assistants, robotic dogs, and uh, and virtual guides and things like that, it gets very interesting very quickly. And, and you start to tread on the toes of ethics and 
all of that fun stuff. But if we unpack that and literally just think about the core technologies, I think they're exciting. I think they're a good way to aim for for the future. But right this minute, my view is experimental. And I don't, my view is I don't believe it's something we should be considering as mainstream and fit for purpose right now. Um, That doesn't mean down the road. I mean, for example, when Boston Dynamics released their first Spot the Dog, I was enthralled by the way it could climb stairs, the way it could navigate spaces. And, And they thought about it in a warehouse sense. And they thought about it in a carrying cargo sense but i saw the potential immediately of spatial awareness and again locating steps moving around obstacles you know linking into this laser and lidar technologies really excited me Um, and to see some of the developments that you've already mentioned definitely goes along that road as to what something i envisaged when i first saw this technology but ultimately, you got, you're always going to have the person that is so keen for, for technology and give it a go. Like, I would certainly give it a go. But would it replace my dog? Probably not on this side of, of 2030. Um, you know, and being completely realistic is that knowing the boundaries of technology, and I've worked in technology now literally 95% of my career, and I know the limitations of technology. I know where the where the hiccups could take place. Yeah. I'm not quite confident to hand over my lead and harness for a guide dog and say, no, nah, I'm cool with that. I'm going to pick up a robot dog. <laughs> um, I think there is so much to it. Um, and ethics is definitely a huge, huge piece of. But, you know, like, for example, you ha- on ethics, you have when it comes to guide dogs, you have a few people on the side of the fence which uh, are concerned about the usage of dogs, you know, uh, but then you also, which, which you know, to, to everyone's again entitled to their opinion. Um, and ultimately, there are people that love the usage of dogs. And obviously, I'm on that side of the fence. You know, they are bred to do it. And that's my opinion. And they do a, an amazing job. But can technology really do it? Not right now, but certainly for the future. Do you find that, um, like I saw uh, one of your TikTok videos where you were walking uh, with your dog Diesel at night, would something like this technology help? Or do you think perhaps technology working alongside a working dog, a guide dog, might be more helpful? So I certainly think, again, I am of the believer of technology and an assistance dog or a cane. Um, You know, one, one one of my slogans I've stuck to since working in the assistive technology space um, and in my previous time when I was working at guide dogs is that my you know my slogan literally was a guide dog and technology is a recipe for independence and I still stick to that I I definitely think that the um, the collaborative functionality between technology and animal and human um, is is something to be to be harnessed, uh, no pun intended, um, to be harnessed and, and utilised. Again, yes, there is space where for nighttime or whatever the case might be or whatever the guiding scenario may be, there is space down the road that technology could do it all. However, there is definitely room. Uh, so, for example, there's a device called the Sunu Band, which is a wrist wearable 
which uses, you know, sonar technology to find devices in front of you and uh, things of that and around you, not just in front of you and picks up different levels. And again, that could work in, in, in tandem with a guide dog. But you could also argue, well, you're going to get mixed messages. The dog might be telling you that's safe and mm. and that's not. So it's finding the right balance. So for me, the, the only technology I will use at the moment in conjunction with my dog would be navigation apps and um, navigation technologies and, and knowing exactly where I am for my orientation. At the end of the day, the dog at the moment is responsible for objects, uh, obstacles, um, guiding, finding things and moving around things. The dog is responsible for that. It's my job to know where I am and where I'm walking or what train I'm getting. And that's for me where the technology really comes into its own and I can find where I am if I'm stuck somewhere and I still got to give the dog instructions, you know, it's not the dog's job to know. But unless unless we were able to bake that in to this, you know, this technology of knowing exactly where we are. So, for example, when we talk about smart canes, which we'll, which we'll do in a bit, we think about WeWalk that has a navigation yeah. built in. But I'm not 100 percent sure. Genuinely, I, have, I only managed to play with this device when it was in when it was in beta, how good that navigation actually is. And is it actually just easier to pull your smartphone out and and put in a pair of bone conducting headphones, whatever the case may be, and, and listen to 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 where you are and use your dog or your cane independently with without. The, the technology interacting with the aid so i think there's a few there's definitely a few elements you could unpack and have a serious conversation about there's there's a lot of elements where crossover may work and crossover may not that's interesting because i was going to ask you about we walk uh, which is a you know a smart cane what the advantages of that would be when you most people in the blind uh, community use these uh, navigation apps also do you find that it does have its advantages over a regular cane or is it just, is there really a need to have something like a smart cane that, that helps you with wayfinding? So again, hands-on experience is very limited, but talking to the community and knowing some of the feelings, again, it's a 50-50 split. It might even be less than that. It might be a 60-40 split or an 80-20 split, but the feeling is, people still love the traditional and they will stick to traditional. And, and I've spoken to some people that have used technologies such as the WeWalk and uh, UltraCane and things like that, that have gone, actually, it's just not fit for purpose or the constant, because the idea of those devices as well is also to give you haptic feedback. So if you're scanning an environment, um, you will get vibration through your hand as to if something is close to you or whether there's an obstacle. And apparently that can become quite confusing and also become quite a um, not a health concern as such but can become oh that's you know <laughs> you're feeling that 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 sensation for a long period especially if you're doing a long walk you know it becomes a point where it just becomes pointless and you you need to use your own navigation skills the only practical benefit i can genuinely see from some of these devices is there are devices that are now have lights on on them so that you can you know, if you've got low vision, you can see better at night and, it, you know, it's you can it illuminates the floor in front of you. Um, but then the only other example is because canes and dogs don't do the best job with obstacles at height or, or uh, towards your shoulders. They don't, you know, they're not, they're not, you know, obviously the dog's not always looking at that type of height. So branches and trees are, are always fun, um, you know, especially if they're thorny. Um hmm. 
the amount of scars on the top of my head from branches that just wanted to take a chunk out with me. <laughs> um, it's, it's, that's, why, that's why I'd never shave my head, I don't think. I have to be scar central. Um, but in terms of that's the only benefit I can I can genuinely see personally is that safety element of being aware of obstacles at head and shoulder height that the dog doesn't necessarily cover or the cane doesn't necessarily cover. Um, I'm happy to be you know proven wrong on that but for me at the moment the, the space of where technology is at um it is only they, they are the only two elements i can pick up on that we really need a bit more you know innovative thinking and a bit more uh clarity on that technology is is you know being being aware of obstacles that just aren't covered by the cane or dog that's the issue with uh technology developers that they're not actually asking the community what it is they need help with with the tools that they currently have and instead they're trying to replace the tools that they currently have yep. would you say that's that can that can be correct in some cases i would 100 percent agree um an example i can give i can't I, obviously i won't won't name the organization or anything like that but um again when i was working for guide dogs um i was told about a project where a local council was taking up crossings um, to replace them with this new smart technology that worked with a specific cane. And at that stage, we had only just been consulted as kind of mobility experts in the sector um, after installation oh. um, because they had spoken to they had spoken to one user in the area who wanted to do it. And oh. it was like, um, OK, that's great that one person really wanted it. And but then you had to use this specific cane that you know that, that cost money you had yeah. to use and the council then had to use these specific tactile crossing pads and pull up pavements and things to implement the technology and as experts we were only asked after installation of a, of a pilot site and it was a bit of a oh uh okay not really sure about this because what what need are you trying to what are you trying to change what are you yeah. trying to do here and it the, the the vision was oh you know make crossings easier to find and things like that i was like right but who's having that problem if 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 you've been trained correctly or you're trying to locate an area or whatever the case might be you you should be able to find locate crossings that shouldn't be an issue or what else can it do that you know and that was pretty much it as far as i'm aware I'm, i mean i was only involved in the latter parts of the conversation uh when when the conversation moved up in 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 the in the guide dogs hierarchy if you like so it, it it happens. It does happen where people go, oh, well, there's a problem. There's already a solution, but can we can can we techify it? You know, almost and and instantly people think if they throw technology at it, that fixes a problem. Mm -hmm. um, and that that isn't always the case because technology can also overcomplicate. Um, technology can can also become a burden. You know, Absolutely. in its own sense, and you've got to find that you've got to find the balance, um, I think. And I think when tech developers and universities see something and they they, they jump for it and, and it's, yes, they conduct the research, but it's already at prototype stage or whatever the case might be. And there's definitely better ways of engaging with the communities you want to help before you can go in as far as prototypes and proof of concepts. Yeah, it's like they have a, a fixed hypothesis in their mind and they get so far into the design process without actually looking at or exploring the actual needs of the community that they're trying to design for exactly and, and i think that's part of the problem is that people sometimes you know i'll say it, companies see it sometimes as a cash cow which is yeah. you know that's that whole business is run that's fine people are going to make money and they've got a genuine goal in mind where they think it might help somebody 
Uh, and ultimately, it either will or it won't. You know, it'll either be a success or a failure, but it's based on luck. It's not based on research. It's not based on design principles. And I think that's something that the likes of RNIB, um, are, uh, you know, myself, my partner at Blind Since Birth and uh, other organizations, we are wanting to turn the tide on. If you want to think about accessibility or inclusive design, it should be right at the beginning. It should be part of the building blocks. It should not be part of a user discussion panel, you know, when you're at prototype. It should be it should be the first part of, of any design phase. Similar to, you know, um, in, in my previous roles anywhere, I've also been a business analyst and things like that. And when you're when you're procuring systems where you're going to be supporting people with a visual impairment or sight loss, is that that should be the first requirement up there with security. I, I genuinely and always have put accessibility and security together at the top. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've had funny looks from suppliers that go, eh. Um, and, <laughs> and it's, but to me, security and accessibility, they are they are just as important as each other for completely different reasons. Um, accessibility, at the end of the day, if you tick that box, you've ticked usability. You've you've ticked, you know, comfortable approachable scalable user experience you've got comfortable nice easy to use user journeys that flow Um, and then obviously with security covered you know (laughs) it's it's security's covered you know if you hopefully technically um but accessibility is just important at the end of the day if it's accessible everyone can use it rather than making something pretty and functional and then you automatically go we've just ignored the purple pound there haven't Mm -hmm. we oh yeah yeah we did didn't we Um, (laughs) it's it's just basic universal design if it if it helps you it helps everybody exactly i mean one of the one of the one of the slogans that annoys me is the slogan of um we we want to make the world more accessible and inclusive. That's brilliant. That's what, what, that, that's marvelous. Let, let's build the world to be more accessible and inclusive. But, but why isn't the world just inclusive? Why isn't it just built for all communities? Why why is it that that steps exist in ridiculous places where a ramp would fit just as easily and just as nicer and be more aesthetic for people? You know, and more useful for people with wheelchairs. Well, you know, yeah. why why is it that? buzzers on on doors or motion sensors you know don't exist in the right places or why do we need stupid spinny doors when you could just have ones that open and close when you walk near them you know it, it's why do we need to rebuild the world when if we built it right in the beginning <laughs> it would have... actually what is the best and the worst use of technology in assistive devices you've seen the best and the worst Ooh. Okay, talking microwaves. They're they're a touchy topic. Some some blind people love them. Some blind people hate them. They've existed since almost the dawn of time. I'm sure I'm sure the dinosaurs had a talking microwave. However, the, the issue I have genuinely got with talking microwaves is that all the buttons speak. They tell you what they're doing. That's marvelous. That's brilliant. However. There's that many functions and possibilities. It's almost like using a scientific calculator, those things. They're so complex. They've got more buttons than, I swear, than, than, you know, the ISS. Uh, And they're not large print. They're not color-coded. They they have the tiniest font in the world on these talking <laughs> microwaves, or or even better, the font doesn't exist. There's no writing at all. So I think, as much as it includes one community, it then abandons the other. <laughs> and, and that is something I've, you know, these are expensive machines. You are talking, you know, seventy to one hundred and sixty pounds for a talking microwave, and. 
it's it addresses one problem and completely white you know completely <laughs> brings back another problem um but in terms of the best i will always always i mean you know me lisa i'm an, I'm an advocate for smart home tech i will always come back to the accidental you know the accidental mainstream tech that's turned into the the vi space uh so when visual impairment space which is amazon alexa or google homes i'm not gonna i'm yeah. not gonna be system you know uh system biased here i'm gonna be you know i'm gonna be uh omnipotent and, al- and allow google into this space at the moment um but yeah you know smart home technology is for me has made my life so much easier and uh genuinely more enjoyable because it's so much fun to wind up your friends when they're trying to flick flick lights on and you're going just ask Alexa. Why would I do that? Why do I? Well, it's just a switch because it's more fun. Duh. <laughs> um, but it's also it's also more inclusive. I I've completely forgot where like we've just moved house. I don't even know where the light switches are anymore because uh, I yeah. never learned where they are. When once I installed the bulbs, I was off. <laughs> forgot where the light switches are. Um. So so yeah, for me, smart home tech as an as an overall is something that has become so helpful in my day to day life, and and definitely you know talking speakers like I like I've said in in our previous conversation, you know um, Amazon and Echoes, Alexas, all of that fun stuff was was brilliant. You know, a device that you had to speak to and had to speak back to you was was spot on for the VI community until they went and put a screen on it. But that's a different conversation entirely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know they they are my they are my best and worst. Uh, I would think there are definitely a lot more, but if I had to pick them, it, it would it would be those two. A talking microwave, great, no font, no text, and for best certainly would be Alexa and uh, the the you know Echo lineup. Oh, thank you so much for talking to me, Martin. I've really enjoyed our conversation. As usual, I love chatting to you. You have so much knowledge in this field, and. Uh... Hopefully we've opened some eyes today with this podcast. Yeah, no pun intended, obviously. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> but no, hopefully, and uh, you know, it's always the conversation about inclusion and accessibility should never end. It should ne- it should never have started because it should always have been there, but it should never stop. Um, and uh, accessibility and inclusion is is definitely you know something that needs to be at the front of of everyone's agenda, regardless of whether you work in the sight loss space or not. If you have any questions about designing for inclusion or anything else, you can email us at uxsoup at strategyanalytics.com. The show notes on our podcast website are ux-soup.com and it has links to our research on designing for inclusion. There you can also connect with each of us on LinkedIn. A reminder that UXSoup is sponsored, as always, by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights in mobile, automotive and smart home by visiting strategyanalytics.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.